A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. John Calvin. Telling a woman that she can't be an elder is a nonsense rule. If they claim to be in the body, we let them have it. Donald Trump is going to win in 2020 by an absolute landslide. Because the New Testament is utter horse was created by a bishop and a an emperor. That's a fact. That's like established religious fact. Sawing is a blessing from God to make you rich. Jesus like a lottery ticket. The Lord spoke to my heart. Then very few times I've ever heard God be this articulate with me. And I'm telling you word for word, these words came into my heart. I'm not asking you to witness me. I'm asking you to brush his hair. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to The Master's Dog, False Teacher of the Week, Episode 68. I am your host, Norm, The Master's Dog Dunham, a.k.a. The Evangelical Norm. So the False Teacher of the Week segment of The Master's Dog Podcast came out of the old introduction video I used to have when I started this, and it was uh, it was for The Master's Dog Podcast, period. It was... a uh, two and a half minute montage of false teachers videos and pictures set to a really cool song called no compromise by result used by permission. Thank you result. And, uh, somebody came to me and said, you know what? I don't know who all these people are. Some of the people that are in there, I thought were okay. So would you be able to break down who they are and what makes them a false teacher? So thus. This segment of the podcast was born. I started doing every Saturday. I would do one of those people from that video. I systematically went through it from beginning to end, except for Stephen Furtick, which is who I started with. And uh, he was the one that she specifically asked me about. So I started with him and then just systematically went through that introduction video. After I was done, I changed up the introduction video, made it shorter. So you don't have to endure a two and a half minute uh, intro video made a little more versatile. I can take video clips in and out, stuff like that makes it a little more useful for me. Uh, a beat that I made on my own phone, although I love uh, the song No Compromise by Result. Copyright claim every time. No way to monetize this podcast, anything like that. Can't monetize it yet anyway. We're not to a thousand subscribers. Apparently that's uh, where you got to be to do all that stuff. But who knows? I mean... It's not really about monetization. I'd like to be able to do that one day, but at this point, it's just about getting the information out to people who uh, appreciate it, uh, make use of it, whatever it is. So, um, simply entertained by it, want to troll me because of it, I'm down for all that. I'll take all the smoke, just bring it. Comments are open, questions, comments, snide remarks, feel free. So, this week we are on episode 68. Uh, we are going to take a look at uh, Ellen G. White. So we're continuing on a three-week series on false prophets of old. I did uh, Joseph Smith a while back uh, dealing with, with the Mormonism and so on. Last week we talked about Charles Taze Russell and the Jehovah's Witnesses. So this week we are going to take a look at Ellen G. White and the Seven-Day Adventists. So a little bit about Ellen G. White. Just a little, whatever little history we can come up with. Uh, Ellen G. White was an American author and co-founder of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, along with other Adventist leaders such as Joseph Bates and her husband James White. 
not the James White we all know and love. Uh, she was instrumental within a small group of early Adventists who formed what became known as the Seventh-day Adventist Church. White is considered a leading figure among American vegetarian history. Interesting. Uh, the Smithsonian Magazine named Ellen G. White among the 100 most significant Americans of all times. Uh, it's, it's interesting for me to know for me because, I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that she was this false prophet founder of this religion, this ch church, if you want to call it. Um, and it, the, the interesting thing about Seventh-day Adventists, just an aside, is there are a lot of evangelical churches, Orthodox churches, that will consider them within Orthodoxy. I'm going to point out some things that put them squarely outside of Orthodoxy, um, and we'll, we'll get to that. But if it wasn't for research and stuff like that and, and recognizing the, the false religion that Seventh-day Adventism is, I would have never heard of Ellen G. White. So the fact that they call her one of the 100 most significant Americans of all time is uh, interesting to me. Um, White claimed to have received over 2,000 visions and dreams from God. In public and private meetings throughout her life, there's a, a, a list of just interesting uh, things in, in conjunction with those visions that she had physical uh, manifestations. Um, and I'll, I'll read them to you, and it'll make you wonder, is this God or something else? Um, Walter Martin, this is an interesting thing, described her as one of the most fascinating and controversial personages ever to appear on the horizon of religious history. Um, I'd, I'd read somewhere else that Walter Martin actually considers uh, Seventh-day Adventism or considered Seventh-day Adventism to be Orthodox, um, which I, I don't know. I didn't really check it out. That would be something we could ask our friends over at Cultish, Andrew and Jeremiah. But uh, at this point, just the fact that he finds her one of the most fascinating and controversial, I mean, obviously controversial, uh, figures to appear upon the horizon of religious history. Um, let's see, a couple other things. Uh, she promoted and has been instrumental in the establishment of schools and medical centers all over the world, with the most renowned being Andrews University in Michigan and Loma Linda University and Medical Center in California. Um, during her lifetime, she wrote more than 5,000 periodical articles and 40 books. Uh, as of 2019, more than 200 white titles are available in English, including compilations from her 100,000 pages of manuscripts published by the Ellen G. White Estate, which are accessible at the Adventist Book Center. Her most, her most notable books, Steps to Christ, The Desire of Ages, and The Great Controversy. So, um, her early life, she was born November 26, 1827, to Robert and Eunice Harmon at a home on State Route 114 in Gorham, Maine. Um, you know, uh, Stephen King territory. I, don't know, I think of Maine and I just think of Pet Cemetery and all the Stephen King movies uh, and books that he wrote. Um, at the age of nine, White was hit in the face with a stone. This occurred while she was living in Portland, Maine, and probably attending the Brackett Street School. This, she said, started her conversion. Quote, this misfortune, which for a time seemed so bitter and was so hard to bear, has proved to be a blessing in disguise. The cruel blow which blighted the joys of earth was the means of turning my eyes to heaven. 
I might never have known Jesus Christ had not the sorrow that clouded my early years led me to seek comfort in him, unquote. First time I ever heard of anybody coming to Christ because they got hit in the face with a rock. But, okay. Um, she was part of the Millerite movement in 1840. At age 12, her family became involved with the Millerite movement. As she attended William Miller's lectures, she felt guilty for her sins and was filled with terror about being eternally lost. She describes herself as spending nights in tears and prayer and being in this condition for several months. On June 26, 1842, she was baptized by John Hobart in Casco Bay in Portland, Maine, and eagerly awaited Jesus to come again. In her later years, she referred to this as the happiest time of her life. Her family's involvement with Millerism caused them to be disfellowship by the local Methodist church. Um, so a little bit about her vision. So from 1844 to 1863, White allegedly experienced between 100 and 200 visions, typically in public places and meeting halls. She experienced her first vision soon after the Millerite Great Disappointment of 1844. The Millerite Great Disappointment, uh, they were believed that Jesus was coming, the second coming of Christ was going to happen in 1844. And so when it didn't come, became known as the Great Disappointment, the Millerite Great Disappointment um, of 1844. So uh, this was all based on a study that uh, William Miller did on Daniel chapter 8. So she said she had one, she had one that led to the writing. She said she had one that led to the writing of the Great Controversy. Um, oh, a vision. Okay, I Lost my place there, talking about that. Um, at an Ohio funeral service held on a Sunday afternoon in March 1858. So here's the, the physical phenomena I was talking about during her visions. And as I read this, it, it really makes me go, is this godly or demonic? Uh, number one, in passing into vision, she gave three enraptured shouts of glory which echo and re-echo the second and especially the third painter, but more thrilling than the first, the voice resembling that of one quite a distance from you and going out of hearing. Uh, number two, for a few moments she would swoon, having no strength. Then she would be instantly filled with superhuman strength, sometime rising to her feet and walking about the room. She frequently moved hands, arms, and head in gestures that were free and graceful. But to whatever position she moved a hand or arm, it could not be hindered nor controlled by even the strongest person. In 1845, she held her parents' 18.5-pound family Bible in her and her outstretched hand for half an hour. She weighed 80 pounds at the time. Three, she did not breathe during the entire period of a vision that ranged from 15 minutes to three hours. Yet her pulse beat regularly and her countenance remained pleasant as in the natural state. Her eyes were, number four, her eyes were always open without blinking. Her head was raised, looking up with a pleasant expression, as if staring intently at some distant object. Several physicians at different times conducted tests to check her lack of breathing and other physical phenomena. Um, five, she was utterly unconscious of everything transpiring around her and viewed herself as removed from this world and in the presence of heavenly beings. Uh, number six, when she came out of a vision, all seemed total darkness, whether in the daytime or a well-lighted room at night. She would explain, exclaim with a long drawn sigh as she took her first natural breath, quote, D-A-R-K, unquote. 
She was then limp and strengthless. Let that sink in. Just the, those phenomena. I mean, it it literally does sound demonic to me. Um, so there's a there's a few stories here about her her first vision and so on. But what I want to get to is where this stems into uh, Adventism and her teachings that led into that. And again, the thing about Adventism is that there's as you look at the things that she taught and so on. It almost feels like Calvinist uh, teaching. You know, she believed in, uh, well, she, she taught, let me see, here, here's the list of, uh, in common with conservative Christians and historic Protestant creeds, what the Adventists believe. That God is the sovereign creator, upholder, and ruler of the universe. He is eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. That the Godhead, the Trinity, comprises of God the Father, Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit. Scriptures are inspired. That Jesus is very God. That he existed with the Father from all eternity. The Holy Spirit is a personal being, sharing the attributes of deity with the Father and Son. That Christ, the Word of God, became incarnate through the miraculous conception and the virgin birth. Uh, the vicarious atoning death of Christ once for all is sufficient for the redemption of a lost race. That Christ rose again. So all these things, these are things that they have in common. What is it that puts them outside of orthodoxy? What teaching is it that, that separates them from what I would say is actual orthodox Christian teaching? And that is the teaching that uh, they don't believe in a literal hell. Adventist views about death and hell reflect an underlying belief in conditional immortality as opposed to immortality of the soul and holistic uh, Christian anthropology, our nature of human beings, as opposed to the bi bipartite or tripartite, dry, tripartite views. So whether it's body and soul or body, soul, and spirit. So bipartite, tripartite. Um, Adventists believe the Bible clearly teaches that the spirit that returns to God at death, uh, what this teaches what the spirit that returns to God at death is. The body without the spirit, breath, is dead. James 2.26, the Spirit of God, the breath which God gave him, is in my nostrils, Job 27.3. They hold that the Spirit that returns to God at death is the breath of life. Uh, they, they teach nowhere in all of God's book does it say the Spirit have any life, wisdom, or feeling after a person dies. It is the breath of life and nothing more. Adventists hold to that what happens when a person dies, the body decays, only the breath of life, the Spirit goes back to God. Who gave it and the breath of life of every person who dies, whether righteous or wicked, returns to God at death. Adventists believe they are restoring these true teachings. So essentially they believe in annihilism. They don't believe in an actual hell. If you're sinful and so on, you're just annihilated. There's, there's no justice. There's no judgment. There's no anything. It's just gone. Just nothingness. And then the rest, it, and it, again, it doesn't come to the point, is, is there a consciousness there in this breath of life that returns to God? You know, as he breathed life into Adam, this is what they teach. So again, there, there's really no, it's, it's almost as if there, it's a, a Sadducee type of, of faith where there, there truly is no afterlife. But then again, it is so contradictory to things that Christ said. It's contradictory to things that Paul taught us and so on. You know, absent from the body is present from the Lord. If there's no consciousness to the spirit, 
what is it that is present with the Lord? How, how are we cognitive of these things? All right, Jesus, through Revelation, we see the spirits of the dead and the, the, those who were martyred for their faith underneath the altar crying out, one Lord, when will be, we be avenged kind of thing, right? And so this com- con- completely contradicts the teaching of Adventism. So what do, why does that make them heretical? Why, why can't they be still orthodox and, and not believe in hell? Because without that, there's no penalty for sin, which means Christ didn't have to die. So you see how these things sneak their way into the gospel message. You know, if there is no hell, there's no, nece- there's no need for an atonement. Because if everybody is saved, then Christ didn't have to die in order to do that. If there's no, no threat of eternal conscious torment and punishment for sin and there's no eternal life, you know, it's just your, the breath of life returning to God and you're just no longer there. Why did Christ pay the penalty for sin? If there's no hell, there's no heaven. There's really, I mean, you're John Lennon, right? And that's what it boils down to. And that is what makes the teachings of Ellen G. White dangerous. And what would make me say that Adventism is not orthodox. It's not, a, it's a pseudo heretical Christian or pseudo Christian heretical organization. And that would be the way that I would describe it. The same way I would describe Mormonism, the same way I would describe Jehovah's Witnesses. Is it a valid religion? Well, I mean, what's valid religion? It's not a true religion, according to James. It's not what Christ intended to, to be the religion of, of that he established the church that he established it's a false it it has its counterfeit even though they lay claim to all of these things that seem to be in line with with orthodoxy when you when you start to to look into them based on this this one tenet of annihilism lack of heaven or hell then all those other things that they believe about god just righteous all these things start to fall apart. And you recognize they don't have the nature of God right. They don't have the nature of soteriology right. They don't have the nature of Christ right. Which puts them outside of orthodoxy, which makes them dangerous. So there you go, guys. Ellen G. White, a little longer than my normal False Teacher of the Week podcast, but there was a lot of just reading and stuff because, again, I'm not, I don't, I can't, spew out facts about Ellen G. White the same way I do about Joseph Smith. Just not something I've studied quite as much, but I put a little effort into making sure that I knew a little bit of what I was talking about. Next week with um, uh, Mary Baker Eddy is going to kind of be the same thing. So um, look forward to that. And that's going to be the third in our, our three-part series of the, the false preachers, false prophets of the past. Um, so thank you guys for hanging out. If you haven't already, like the video, share the video, uh, hit subscribe, hit the notification. That makes Mr. Algorithm just get up and, and start doing work and send that video out to all kinds of people who might find it interesting and helpful as well. Hopefully you did. Again, thank you. Comments are open. Questions, comments, snide remarks. I'll take all the smoke. As always, preach the gospel at all times. Use words. They're necessary. And until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.